Vodka. 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 Vodka O'Clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love, and you're listening to Vodka O'Clock Podcast from AmberUnmasked.com. And you can now sponsor the show on the website at Patreon. Just go to Patreon.com slash AmberUnmasked, and you can pledge as little as a dollar per creation, which means a dollar a week. So today, my guest is Jeremy Whitley. We're going to be talking about all kinds of comic book stuff. And we're going to get into, um, like, why he writes the things he writes and, um, you know, what it's like to, what's it it like to break in, okay? We're going to to do that kind of thing. So um, you probably already know him, but in case you don't, Jeremy Willis here. We're going to talk about Princeless and everything else he's working on. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So um, with Princeless, this is a series. It started a few years ago. Now, are you, like, the creator, or was this a joint venture from the beginning? Um, well, officially, uh, I am I am co-creators along with uh, my artist on the book, Emily Martin. Um, it was originally something that, you know, came from, from my brain, and, um, you know, I had another version of it at one point, and then, um, you know, I did the first, uh, first volume with uh, Mia Goodwin, um, you know, but since then she she'd sort of moved on to do her own thing, and uh, Emily's come on as the uh, regular artist and the the co-creator on the book. Okay. And um, now I know it's not all about um, you know being famous in comics because that never happens. Mm-hmm. But uh, Princeless has gotten a few awards and some really lovely award recognition and everything. So, uh, just, I mean, congratulations on all that, because it's it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think uh, probably, I mean, last time we talked, it might have been, you know, way back when Princess had just been, you know, nominated for a, a couple of uh, Eisner Awards and um, had won a, a few uh, Glyph Awards as well, you know, back for the first volume. And obviously since then we've had uh, two and a half more volumes, um, and we're... We're chugging right along right now. We've got, you know, a, a spin-off series in The Pirate Princess and um, a whole lot of other stuff coming out, um, hopefully for a regular <laughs> on a regular basis for a while. Okay, so if you guys are listening and you're wondering, you know, what kind of book this is, that it's got so much uh, recognition and a lot of praise from the fan community and from fellow creators, you know, like uh, Gail Simone and like people who have been out there for for a long time have really helped uh, promote this series. Uh, it's the story about Princess Adrian, who just uh, does not want to wait for a prince to come save her from her tower. So she she breaks out and she makes friends, and they go on a long quest to help other princesses escape their towers. And from there, it's just like this big rolling adventure from one challenge and one. Um, you know, task to the next. So um, it's pretty cool, and I like the the like B story that's in there with Adrian's brother. How you really just um, it, he's he's not like the manly man that his you know his father the king wants him to be. And I think it's a it's been a really sweet like little side story. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's um, you know we you know we set out from the beginning to do. Uh, you know, a couple of different stories within this. I mean, it's definitely Adrian's story, um, but, you know, Devin is her, her twin brother, and 
um, is experiencing a lot of the same, you know, problems and prejudice as she is, but from the other side, um, you know, whereas she is a a girl who, you know, is, is adventuring and sword fighting and doing things that are generally deemed as being too masculine for her. Um, he, on the other hand, is much more into the sort of things that, uh, you know, their their parents would rather Adrian was into. Um, and, you know, at the same time, they don't, they don't want him to be into that. Um, he is a, um, an artist and a poet and a actor and, uh, a seams, a seamster, uh, a, uh, you know, he, he yeah. makes costumes and sews and everything as well. Yeah. He's a great fashion designer for the theater. Um, so where did, where did the whole series come from that? Because, I mean, it's been a few years, and, and, I, and I was wondering if, you know, being a parent really was why you made this. Like, if there was something that just, you know, your daughter influenced you so much to make it, or if it was just something that was probably in your head for a really long time, or, you know, just it, you took a dramatic shift where you were maybe a horror guy ten years ago, and now you're writing about princesses. Like, what? how did, how did this become your story? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of a combination of... of um it being something that had been in my head and um, you know, being something that uh, is, is influenced by um, being a parent. You know, at the point I started writing it, I, I wasn't yet a parent, but my um, my wife and I were, were talking about it. Um, and it was, uh, you know, something that I, I want, I loved comics and I wanted to share um, comics with my daughter and I wanted uh that to be comics worth sharing, and that I was as confident in sharing and felt good about putting in in her hands, um, where you know she could see young women who looked like herself, you know, young women of color, um, doing things for themselves, being being the heroes of the story, um, and actually, you know, ha- having their own uh, their own agency and their own uh, perception of their destiny. Um, you know, because that's unfortunately not something that a lot of the existing princesses, uh, especially at the time, it's you know it's improved a little bit since then. Um, but you know, overall, it's still not something that a lot of the the princess stories that are presented to young girls as being for them um, actually go out of their way to to discuss or embrace. Um, and especially, there's especially few with um, you know women of color as the leads and comics suffers largely from the same issue and that there's there's not many leads of color and then the few things that are out there with um uh leads of color are very uh, are often not designed for kids um or you know even to be be looked at by kids um unfortunately the oh, there's a large problem with you know over sexualization of, of characters in comics um even ones who are supposed to be not particularly of a, a sexual nature, um, and then I wanted my daughter to have something that I felt comfortable giving her, and that hopefully she could uh, aspire towards in some way. Um, so I, I started writing it, and in the time that I was, you know, working on volume one, actually had a daughter, um, and uh, you know, we continued to to put it together, and the story has been kind of growing with us, and it's all about her going off to go, you know, rescue her other sisters. Um, and we've also had the, you know, the, the awesome sort of uh, addition of um, Raven, the, the pirate princess, throughout this, which is something 
at the time I hadn't anticipated, but it's sort of grown organically out of the story and um, has taken on sort of a life of its own. Well, let's talk about that specific part because I, I think it's so incredible when an indie comic book does not only succeed, but it succeeds well enough that you can have a spinoff like this and had people that want to draw variant covers and you know, have such a great reaction from other creators themselves to you know to expand the universe and to get their own versions of things out there. And I don't know if we've seen any cosplay yet, but it should totally happen because Adrian's armor is pretty you know awesome. Um, but I, I love the pirate story, and um, it feels a little bit older maybe than, than Adrian's story, but um, it's still, like, it's just very, it's very consistent. And I, how, you know, was there some sort of, like, big, like, you know, marketing secret that you did to just, like, get the word out? And it, or was it just, like... Holy crap! This just happened, and people like my book. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I think it was, you know, it was obviously something that I I was looking for, and I I couldn't find at the the time that I was looking for it, so I ended up making it, and I think it's it's proven that there are um, quite a few other people out there uh, looking for the same thing um, or or something similar, um, and it's been it's been interesting to sort of see that evolve. Um, and, you know, it's it's something that's uh, done much better over time and um, in the book market as compared to, you know, exclusively the um, the comic direct market. Um, it's been um, it's been really really interesting because it was you know something that we that I wanted to do and basically over the first you know year or two it was coming out just um, talked to anybody who would listen about it you know did. Um, all the all the interviews that I could manage to do, um, you know, pushed it on on every critic who would take a look at it, and um, you know, was was nice enough to have both uh, some receptive critics and receptive uh, pros who um, you know picked it up and, and were excited about it and went out and uh, talked about it to other people. Um, both um, Gail Simone and Kelly Sue DeConnick were have been big supporters of it throughout. Um, Matt Fraction's also been uh, been really great. Greg Pak is, is somebody who's been uh, really supportive of you know of these stories, and um, it's been it's been amazing to me to uh, have gone from you know having to explain what Princess is to every person that comes down the aisle, um, and them them not know um, to meeting professionals for the first time that I've I've never met. And um, you know, having them compliment me on my work and, and say you know how excited they are about Princeless. I mean, I was it was um, it was great. The, the first time I ever met Marjorie Liu, like uh, I met her and, and her uh, her, her uh, boyfriend Juno Diaz, uh, and they were sort of um, they both were familiar with the book and you know uh, were, had nothing but nice things to say. And it was, um, it's one of those shocking moments where, you know, you go from having to sort of explain what and who, what you do and who you are to everybody to like the the first time somebody actually knows before 
hand. That's pretty amazing. It's got to be a, a great feeling. Do you also go onto panels for, for when you get to a Comic Con? Do you panels a lot? Um, yeah, I, I, I do as many panels as anybody will let me. Um, you know, I, I am actually pretty bad at turning down panels when people ask me. I, uh, for anybody who was at um, AwesomeCon this last year in D.C., I did uh, seven panels over the weekend, um, which is is borderline suicidal. Because, um, you know, I, I was running my own table and doing seven panels, so I was you know, running back and forth to these panels and back to my table and trying to sell as many books as I could before I had to run back out to do another panel. Um, and at one point I had, I think, three panels within four hours. Um, so, yeah, I, I do. I am I'm a tireless promoter, um, you know, like I was talking about with uh, putting the book into, you know, the hands of, of critics and pros. Um, I also, um, you know, will we'll do pretty much any any panel or any event that um, I think has an audience that, that can benefit from Princeless or that uh, would be interested in Princess. Well, one of the things that I saw recently uh, um, on your feed was that you and your daughter went to go teach about, um, about making comics and stuff. So was that in a library or a school? Uh, that particular one was actually in... Uh, in a Barnes and Noble, um, we went okay. to. Uh, I actually did a, a couple of Barnes and Nobles within. Uh, they were doing a whole week devoted to, to geek media kind of stuff, and um, I went to uh, two Barnes and Nobles here in uh, North Carolina and talked about uh, my comics and just generally making comics and how to get into making comics, how to break into the industry, what uh, you know, what it's all about, what's. Yeah, everything from how to write a script to, like, how did I you know, get in to do something at, um, you know, with Action Lab or at, at Marvel for that matter. Uh, how did I, <laughs> how did I get to writing My Little Pony from, um, you know, not having been involved at all with with IDW previous to that. And what is it like for, for kids, like teaching to kids these things? Because I've I'm, I've never actually seen that done before, except, like, we have kids that come to our fundraiser and everything. I see kids running around in costumes and uh, and at some panels, but I've never seen anything that's, that's really, like, an educational experience about, this is how we do it, and then, you know, showing them, this is what a script looks like. What do they, what do they respond to? Because I, they're growing up in a whole different world with, with digital media, you know. Do they even know what a comic book is? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of a lot of kids are, are very familiar with comic books generally in the the non floppy you know trade style form um, and a lot of them are are more familiar with manga than um, western style comic books um, so you know they do there is some familiarity they know what it is and they're they're interested in it they all know um, you know uh, most of them above a, a certain age have seen some number of at least the Marvel movies um, and, you know, know about superheroes, watch the uh, cartoons and all that. So, I mean, it's uh, it's not something where you have to start quite at the very beginning, thankfully. Um, but uh, it I think it helps having things that they can 
uh, relate to that they're aware of already, like, you know, My Little Pony being able to say, you know, that show that you watch that's on the TV, um, you know, that's, uh, that's also a comic. You can read that TV show that you watch. And there's, you know, even more stories that, that you haven't uh, heard or seen yet, you know. Because uh, that's, that's an exciting thing for anybody to, you know, learn that there's more of a thing that they love. Um, and I, there's definitely a, a certain class of, of girl that when you know, I, I pitch Princeless to them, when I tell them, you know, it's about a, it's about a princess who... You know, makes friends with her dragon and goes out and kicks butt. That you know, there are some girls that immediately they're like, "Yeah, that's that's what I want." Mom, can we get this? Um, you know, I nice. I don't think there's. I I think there's uh, thankfully not as much of a border between reading comics and making comics as there used to be, um, and I, it's always great to see, you know, kids and teenagers who. Uh, see what I'm doing and, you know, when I explain kind of how I make stuff, they go, oh, I can do that. And uh, in some cases, they're already doing it. Well, you mentioned, um, you know, working for Marvel and IDW, in particular, um, My Little Pony. And I pick up on My Little Pony issue here and there, like, when I can, because they're so funny. And it's not like you particularly need to follow big, giant continuity arcs or anything with My Little Pony. And they also have um, a shorter arcs or um, one-shots and things that come out on occasion. So um, what what exactly did you work on for My Little Pony? Um, so I started, so I was I was working on Princels already, and uh, I met Tony Fleece, who draws for My Little Pony, at um, Denver Comic Con a couple of years ago. Uh, we were set up back-to-back, and uh, he was familiar with Princels and um, liked it and you know, asked me if I'd ever thought about working on uh, the My Little Pony book, which was already up and rolling at that point. And uh, I, I said that I'd love to. I was familiar with the show because I'd been watching it with my daughter because um, it's one of those few shows that uh, she likes and I can stand. Um, and so, you know, I knew it was a well-written show with sort of clever, interesting stuff to say um, for you know for a kid's cartoon. Um, and so I... I took him up on it. I sort of launched into uh, uh, talking to uh, the editor over there um, about putting together some some pitches. Um, and at that point, they were launching um, what's called the uh, My Little Pony Friends Forever series, which is basically a uh, My Little Pony team up series where you take you know two of the uh, the characters and tell a story where you know both of them learn something about friendship and they get closer over the the course of the issue. Um, and so I, I started, uh, I pitched a bunch of stuff for that. Uh, two of the first handful of pitches I'd sent him got, uh, got accepted and picked up. Um, and I just sort of went off to the races there. I've done, um, I think I've done something around a dozen, uh, my little pony comics in the last, uh, year and a half. Um, I've got my first, uh, big four issue arc starting up next month in the book. Um, with my my epic uh, and it's sometimes fairly dark uh, pony story called uh, Siege of the Crystal Empire. That sounds cool. Well, that I mean, the, but the show actually did go to a kind of a dark place. Like it had you know big nightmare um, dark and trying to take over a Oh yeah, it's um. It's not. They don't. You know, they don't dumb it down. Like you said, it's clever. It's it's 
the, the characters, you know, are all, um, you know, the kind of, like, each character represents kind of, like, a set of personality traits and stuff. But, I mean, it's, it's really clever in how they all work together. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's an incredibly well-written show, and the comic book uh, definitely aspires to um, the same level of, of um, quality and intelligence. Um, and, you know, we've got two sort of ongoing series out of it um, with a, a variety of, of different, you know, excellent writers and artists um, working on it. And uh, it, it does it does vary from, um, you know, the, the crazy and goofy to the, um, you know, dark and, and sometimes serious. Um, because the, the show and it's even this this current iteration is actually not... I don't think it's dark as dark as some of the earlier, um, in some cases, more kind of cute bubblegum pink iterations of, of My Little Pony. And that, um, you know, like old old school My Little Pony from like when we were kids was, there was like, there were demons in that. Like they, they fought some serious evil stuff. Well, you, um, yeah, you mentioned Tony Fleece and he's a, a phenomenal artist. But I mean, are you... Did you take over for Katie Cook and Andy Price, or are they doing the other uh, a second series? Well, no, it's um, it's sort of a I want to say a revolving door. That sounds like a negative thing, but um, people are sort of always pitching stories um, for both books, depending on you know what type of story they have in mind, and um, you know as stuff lands, um, you know it has to get approved by. Uh, our editor Bobby, and then it has to go through um, Hasbro's approval. And uh, you know, at the point it gets uh, through Hasbro's approval, Bobby starts scheduling things out. Um, so, you know, in a lot of cases, I'll have uh, you know this uh, this seizure of the Crystal Empire stuff was approved months back. Um, and I, I've worked at this point with uh, you know, up till this point it had been every every artist that's been on the book except Andy Price, and then uh, this this current volume I'm working on is, is with Andy Price. Um, so now the only person I haven't worked with is Jay Foskett, who just joined the team. Um, but everybody else uh, that's on the the Pony Art team, I've I've done issues with. Um, and you know, Andy is on for the full four issue run of of uh, Seizure of the Crystal Empire, and he's doing a phenomenal job. I love it. I love it. And I mean, you know. It's cool how you can still see that there's um, there's a consistency, obviously, because it's a Hasbro product. So just like with Warner Brothers, you have to meet their criteria. I mean, you can't just draw it any way that you want or write it any way that you want. But um, but each artist still has sort of like their own touch. Like you can tell that that it's theirs. And stuff. like Amy Memberson has done uh, covers. Like so many people have done covers. They're really cool. Um, but I, I just I love it because even though like it's considered a little girl's story or whatever, so many guys work on My Little Pony. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's um, I think I think the teams are pretty close to even, um, you know as far as uh, girl guy ratio, um, you know because it's me and Andy and Tony and Jay and um, I'm forgetting somebody. Um, Ted Anderson, who is also a, a writer, um, and then you know, uh, uh, and uh, Tom Zoller, um, 
who's also phenomenal. Um, he's a writer and an artist. Um, but then, you know, on the, the art, on the girl side, we have, uh, obviously Katie who, you know, writes and draws Amy Meberson, um, and, uh, just, a you know, an amazing group of artists with, um, um, uh, I'm trying to think of everybody that we have. We have, uh, uh, Brenda, who I'm doing a, uh, story with next month as well. Um, and then, uh, we have uh, Jen Blake, who just did a story with me a, a little while ago, um, and of course Agnes Grabowska, who's you know everybody's favorite person in general. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's uh, again, when it comes to ponies, I mean they have uh, again published through IDW. If you haven't looked it up, they also have a gajillion variant covers for people who get really really into collecting. Oh yeah. Some of or like specific for certain stores and whatever, and they might do just like uh, really like bonus things um, for special issues or whatever. But they just seem to like when you get um, unless unless this is just like done in the in the trades, I don't know. But it's like you'll get like this big huge gallery of covers that came out for whatever that that volume was, and it's just like you, like everybody like everybody loves My Little Ponies. Oh yeah, there's there's a lot of um a lot of folks that have done covers for it, and um, you know, there's there's usually for for every issue there's you know two standard covers, and then you know in some cases there will be um, variants. I know Jetpack Comics does a lot of variants. Hot Topic does variants in the main series, um, and then there's a lot of uh, other stores that'll you know do one here and there. Um, but yeah, and there's you know that's a lot of where you see. Um, a lot of Tony and Amy's work is both of them do a lot of uh, covers. Amy does most of the the main covers for the series. Um, she has a really very clean kind of digital style that looks a lot like uh, the actual cartoon. Um, you know, not just stylistically, but you know, it looks like the the ponies may just start moving and having a cartoon while you're looking at it. Um, but yeah, there's. It's a it's a huge team that works on pony stuff, and they're uh, I mean they're all fantastic. I've met everybody at this point, and uh, there's nobody I wouldn't want to work with on other projects. When it comes to working on such a, a big team, like you said, there's I mean that's a lot of people. Um, you know, sort of like the the kids equivalent to the you know the gospel. Do you guys have to confer with each other, or is it? I mean, I always, um, I always try to to chat with whoever um, the artist is on my issues, just because uh, in a lot of cases that can make things easier. Um, you know, I can. Uh, I know, you know, there's a case where I, I was talking to Andy at San Diego uh, a month back, and um, you know, we were discussing something or other that was totally unrelated, and he goes, "You know, that reminds me." I was reading this page in your your script, and uh, I don't understand what you're talking about here. And you know, was asking me about um, you know one of the panels, what I was looking for there, and um, you know, I was able to sort of paint a not an actual picture because that would be terrible, uh, but like uh, you know, kind of an idea of what I was looking for, and then get it cleared up. And you know, I um, I'm good friends with several of the artists, so it's it's nice to sort of. Uh, chit chat with them. Everybody's got a slightly different style. I know some of the artists kind of just 
uh, I send off my script and then I get finished pages and I go, oh, it's fantastic. I had no idea I had even done pencils yet. Um, and, you know, some people I, I sort of go more back and forth with. Um, but, yeah, as far as other writers, um, other than sort of uh, joking with people about uh, the various receptions that various books get and, um, you know, trying to uh, make sure that nothing directly conflicts as far as uh, actual story. Um, we don't really confer about what we're going to write very much. It's sort of uh, you know, sit back and, and be surprised by, by where somebody else is, is taking the story. Is there um, like a, a, a perfect story for, for ponies that you think, uh, you know, maybe... It, it would just have to the, the perfect storm would have to happen with like you know you writing dream artists because all of these others are so great um, everybody loves it. it I don't I mean like I'm not really sure if the ponies how many awards they get I mean I've nominated them before because I like I like kids books so I always want to promote kids books um, but is there you know do you have it in the back of your head like oh my gosh this is the biggest thing um, I've always I've always got ideas of, of stories I want to do, and some of them um, have been shut down by Hasbro, not necessarily for being too big, but being sort of outside of what they've established and, um, you know, something that they're, they're worried can be, um, can affect where the show can go, um, especially when the show already has things planned. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I've had some stories that I, I really wanted to do that have uh, ended up, not making the cut, and then I've uh, had ones like, you know, the one I'm about to do, um, which, you know, I was I was writing, and I was... I, I kept waiting for it, um, for a script to come back, and for Hasbro to have said, no, you, you've gone too far with this, you gotta, you gotta chill out, this is, you know, too dark, uh, this is too, too much, and um, they never did, I just kept getting uh, almost, almost no notes on this series, um, and, you know, I actually met our, um, our, our Hasbro guy, um, who's the, the brand manager for Hasbro that works with IDW at San Diego. And uh, he was just, uh, he was thrilled about, uh, the story that we were doing. And I was like, I was astonished because I thought for sure that, you know, at some point that one was going to get shut down and, uh, and it didn't, it just kept, uh, kept doing better, and in this case, you know, seems to have actually um, made some impact with Hasbro, so I'm hoping that'll do the same with the audience. Um, and yeah, I've, I've never gotten the chance to work with Andy as much as uh, I love working with everybody else. This is um, this is my first time working with, uh, you know, who's, who Andy is widely considered, I think, to be the, the premier pony artist at this point. Um, so, yeah, I I think this for now is is that thing. Um, yeah, I really want to do um, more more sort of origin stories. I really enjoyed um, the the origin story that I did for Sombra with uh, with Brenda Hickey um, during Villains Month, um, and that's I mean, that so far has been I think the best received thing I've done. Um, but I, I have sort of I have some ideas for. Um, both 
both Discord and Zakora that you know, I'd like to see some version of actually come around at some point. Um, but I've yet to, yet to hit a note with them that uh, the the folks at Hasbro like or uh, are not anticipating covering themselves at some point, which is is the I guess the biggest struggle with trying to tell big stories for a uh, a license like this that still has an ongoing show um, is you know if it's a really good big story uh, they're probably already wanting to do it at some point on the show so you kind of got to skirt what the show is planning on doing and still try and make something that's big yeah that was the name that was um, so when it comes to the, the time that it takes to turn over and everything with Hasbro, um, is, like, ha- do you have the kind of freedom that you can create new characters, or at that point is it like, oh, no, now we have to go to committee, because now you're starting to mess with the universe? <coughs> um, for the most part, they've, um, Hasbro has, has been exceptionally easy to work with. Um, you know, I have tried to work with some, some license holders before, and it's uh, not not always an easy thing. Um, usually when Hasbro uh, turns something down, there's a very clear idea of why they're turning it down. And, um, you know, in a lot of cases, they're willing to sort of shoot it down and say, you know, here's the reason if you come back to us with something that can integrate, you know, some of what you're doing here without, um, you know, doing this thing that's sort of uh, unbalancing our universe, and we'll look at it again. Um, in fact, this this story, uh, Rise of the Crystal Empire, um, or <laughs> Siege of the Crystal Empire, um, started off as a sort of, um, and it's always been sort of a villain team-up story, um, but the, uh, you know, who the big villain was initially, um, and th- from the first time I pitched it, is, has changed, um, and, uh, you know, the, the story that I started out doing was not, um, you know, not something Hasbro was interested in and um, sort of conflicted with some of the stuff they were doing in-house. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of took it and looked at it some more, and um, while that was happening, the um, the Fiendship is Magic, the Villain Month stuff started up, and uh, I, you know, got... I ended up getting sort of another idea from there um, that, you know, enabled me to combine these two ideas and make I think what what's now a bigger and better thing. You've um, you've mentioned how it's you know how, how there have been times when they've passed on things. So as a writer, um, I'm really curious because I, I read something and I'm not I don't even remember the source of this where it said that when men get rejected from a publisher and they're told to resubmit, but they actually do then resubmit something, whereas women are less likely to even try again. They just take the rejection and they go elsewhere. You know, like they don't want to face that company again or that publisher or whatever it is. Um, How, like, like what advice do you have on this pitching process that, um, you know, how how do you take what they're saying and then, say, okay, I'm just going to sink this into the bin and then start, you know, try again and start fresh again. I think um, you know, the, the biggest things to, to realize um, with, with that are, are one that um, 
you know when you when you write a good story, even if that story can't can't be made the the way it is, um, you know there are always elements of that story that can survive and can you know move on to another iteration, um, and it's it's important not to uh, you know throw the baby out with the bathwater you know so to speak when you have when you have a good idea don't don't let that good idea go just because you know it's in the wrong packaging at the moment um, you got to kind of hold on to that kernel of, of what was good about it and and come back to it um, and I think the other thing to realize is that um, yeah and a lot of this depends on the editor and um, you know Bobby is is really good and really supportive in this right and that um you know the editor has a good idea of what will fly and what won't um and if he tells you know if he says resubmit something he means resubmit it like he doesn't you know he's not somebody who has a lot of time to uh just keep having you resubmit the thing that he's never going to pass um you know there there are some you know, people who sort of thrive off of going through the uh, recycling and turning people down. But I think for the most part, when you get to, um, you know, professional comic book editors, there is so much involved in that job that if they're telling you to resubmit, if they're telling you to try again, um, then they're not, they're not, you know, blowing smoke up your butt. They, they actually want you to resubmit because they, they don't have time to look at stuff that they're not interested in. Just, you know, suck it up. It's okay. Everybody does happy work once in a while, or you just do something that's not a for that brand. You know, sometimes that's and because um, I hear that a lot too, um, where um, publishers or agents just be like, "Look at me. This just isn't the right thing for me." And that's something that you have to be like, "Okay," and. At, at some point, whatever the magic number is, you get enough rejections where then you start seeing it as just part of the process. But when you're new, and it's like, uh, you know, I'm still getting, I'm still getting rejected all the time. I'm terrible. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a year uh, amount of time that you're doing something, or if it has anything to do with finding success in one thing, like you had so much success in Princeless that maybe the rejections don't even bother you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, uh, you know, that that's something that's, that has bothered me uh, in the past and still does on occasion, especially, I think, having Princeless in some respects made it more difficult for me because I can say, like, I can look at Princeless and say, I know what I'm doing. Why can't I figure out how to make other people realize that I know what I'm doing? Um, and it's, it's not, it's not an easy thing to do necessarily. I think part of the, the hard part of it is, um, looking at your project after it's been rejected and being able to say, all right, now this is a good idea. This is something I want to do. Or, um, you know, to look at the rejection and, and look at their reasons and go, um, is it me or is it them? Is it is this an issue that they just don't want this kind of book, that they don't want this kind of idea, that this isn't up their alley, and that I've just been pitching to the wrong place? Or um, is it something that's actually wrong with the story? Because, I mean, it's it's hard 
it's hard to admit that there's something wrong with your story. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's just as difficult sometimes to, um, you know, kind of swallow back the, the tears and the self pity and, and go, no, there's a good idea here. I'm going to keep pursuing it. Um, you know, cause it's, it, there's always, there's always going to be something that, you know, holds you back and it's, Try, it's got to be, you've got to learn to minimize the part of that that's just you holding you back um, and, you know, figure out how to, to kind of step into it and keep, um, you know, keep being willing to take those types of punches. Um, cause if, if you're going to be a professional writer and you're not just going to do your own thing by yourself in your own little corner, um, then you're, yeah, you've got to learn to be rejected. Um, you know, I've got, I've got a story, a, a pitch I've been working on for Oni um, that has been bouncing around at this point for a solid six months. Um, you know, every time I I put it together and I, I send it to them, I think I've got it, and then um, you know I, I get a a letter or a conversation where you know they say, well, there's you know there's just one thing, it's still a little bit off. Um, you know, have you looked at this and um, you know, they'll, they'll point it out to me, and I'll go, "Oh yeah, that's obviously wrong. That obviously doesn't work. It would obviously work better if I, I did this, this, and this." Um, and I think part of part of being a writer and being successful as a writer is being able to look at critiques that you get, especially from editors, and being able to to process them and get and realize that like this is somebody that does this professionally. They might, they might be seeing this more clearly than you are, um, and then in, in some cases, just be able to to look at it and go, no, this is what I want to do. Uh, if they don't, if this isn't what they want, then maybe I should look somewhere else. Okay, so I have to know which pony are you? Because <laughs> everybody sits around and picks out, you know, the pony that's them, and because you know, obviously. Uh, Twilight Sparkle was a, like, sort of like the, the main character in, in the cartoon. But, um, you know, Rarity is the fashion designer, so I know my cosplay friends all think that they're Rarity. And <laughs> and, if, and if somebody were to ask me, I'd, I can't even remember her name, though. It was Applejack's, like, grandma that sat in a rocking chair. <laughs> like, me on the farm in a rocking chair with me. Yeah, Granny Smith. Um, it's... It's difficult to say. Uh, I, I've been asked this question many times, and I, um, I identify with a couple of the characters. Um, you know, Twilight Sparkle is, is often my favorite to write um, because you know, she reminds me a lot of, of myself and of my wife in, in several respects, being sort of the, you know, the nerdy, introverted, book-loving type. Um, and I, you know, I, I. Love her as a character, um, and in a lot of respects, at the same time, I'm not uh, nearly as organized as Twilight Sparkle. Um, so, um, I, I don't know. I don't know that there's a character that that matches me dead on. But uh, I think in a lot of respects, I'm probably closest to uh, to Big Mac, and I'm just the uh, I'm sometimes the the big glue that's just there to go. Yup, about stuff. <laughs> Here, this is heavy. Carry it. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, because I have a friend who um, I always 
said she was Pinkie Pie, and she had never even seen the show, and, and it was one of those things where I started sending her, like, a bunch of graphics <laughs> that I got on the internet, and then I was like, please, it's on Netflix, let's go watch the show. And she, she realized, she's like, wow, oh, my God, you're right. I'm like, you're pinky pie. <laughs> it's like, and it, you guys are listening. I'm sorry. We're, like, nerding out about ponies. But pinky like, hyperactive addiction sugar. And, and at some point, she, like, she got, like, so hyper, she multiplied herself. <laughs> yeah. She, uh, she couldn't stand missing out on all the things she was missing out on by just being one pony. So she had to. To clone herself. Yeah, she cloned herself in the special pool of water. Fantastic. Um, okay, well, so just to, before we, we run out of time or anything, since we're talking about, you know, ponies and princess and these things that are very, like, girl-centric and stuff, even though they're not girl-exclusive, because, um, you know, I love that boys can, little boys especially, can, can be comfortable watching a princess movie or reading a princess comic and, like, think it's awesome. Um... So I, I know that a lot of my, my guy feminist friends get an equal amount of crap on the Internet for being feminist. Um, and, you know, it's like, it's awful, and it can be horrible. So I was just wondering if you ever uh, had to go through the, the troll problem that, that other people have, have gone through. Uh, I have. It's interesting. I was, I was talking about this uh, on an interview the other day, and that um, the – the current issue of uh, Pirate Princess that comes out has a lot of um, troll-related conversations um, that, that happen in it about you know things that women in, encounter in life and sort of uh, largely on the internet right now. Um, and uh, I, I was remarking that um, it never, it almost never happens to me on Twitter. I almost never get um, any kind of backlash about stuff that I post. Um, you know, be it um, you know feminist or um, about race issues or uh, about anything like that on Twitter. It's it's almost always um, on Tumblr that I get blowback on things because uh, that's between the two social media platforms. That's where I spend most of my time. Is one of those two, um, and it it recently occurred to me that. Um, you know, on Twitter, it has, like, I have my name. Like, it says, you know, I have a screen name, but it says Jeremy Whitley on there. Um, but on um, Tumblr, uh, it, it's just princelesscomic.tumblr.com. Um, and a lot of the guys who decided to jump in there and uh, give me shit and um, get in long, extended... Um, you know, internet fistfights with me, uh, I started realizing that they think I'm a girl. Um, you know, and they uh, they say things to me that make that obvious, um, you know, and, and sort of misgender me in that way. And uh, it's remarkable just how, how clearly and obviously um, you can tell that it's it's a bullying relationship and they don't they don't feel like they can get away with bullying another guy but when they're when they don't know or aren't sure that I'm a guy they're more than happy to just wade in and and you know start throwing shit at me um which you know i think is a very clearly a um you know a, a an ex- 
a sort of microcosm for you know just the the amount of shit that that women have to put up with generally on a day-to-day basis cuz you know uh, I don't I don't get a lot of shit from people in general because I'm a you know 6 foot 2 300 pound guy um you know people don't start shit with me generally um but you know it's a completely different world to um have uh, ideas and opinions as a woman rather whether it's on the internet or in real life yeah absolutely i've actually considered at times and i don't get it that bad i mean I'm, i have friends who get it far 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 i really you know I, i'm one of the luckier ones but i've uh, i just knowing that i can't handle it at all i mean there are days when i've I, I don't know. I don't know what happens to me on certain days where I just sort of turn like maniacal and I start laughing about it so much that I just want to tease them back. And I just kind of, I just, like, I feel like I'm cackling, like, I feel like the joke. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, God, how can I get back at them? How can I do? And then there's another part of me that's like, you know, maybe I should do an experiment. Maybe I should make a fake profile with a guy's picture and, you know, pass myself off as a guy and see what it's like. And yet I can't bring myself to do it. For some reason, I'm like, no, that's giving them exactly what they want. They want you to hide. And I'm just like, I am so the opposite of hiding, as everybody knows. <laughs> you know, that I can't even seem to bring myself to do that as an experiment. Um, but I just finished reading Felicia Day's memoir, and she does actually, uh, in the very end of the book, she, she gets into Gamergate. And she talks about why it took her a really long time to even talk about the subject and and stand up for anybody and it was because a year before she had already been going through her own absolute hellish nightmare online to the point where when when they started doxing her home address and everything a stalker showed up to her house and made his way like into her house and you know and this was like before Gamergate yeah you know so I can imagine her hesitation for ever wanting to stand up for anything after a, a nightmare like that. So I'm like, you know, a couple of people have, you know, they talk about the, the releasing of the celebrity naked photos or hacking into even the ones who aren't really celebrities but nerd celebrities. You know, I'm like, you know, what are you going to do to me? I put my entire life online. <laughs> There's literally like nothing you can do. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I, I admire the hell out of, of, uh, you know, women like yourself and, and like, you know, so many of the women in the, the games and comics industry that are, you know, are out there every day and are just, um, you know, taking people down and, uh, taking people on, whether, you know, it's, uh, I mean, some people are afraid, some people are not, some people are acting like they're not, but, you know, have got to be to some extent because, um, you know, these are clearly people who, um, you know, they they have issues, be they with boundaries or, or mental health or, or what, that, you know, uh, are willing to go places that, uh, you know, you would not, you would not imagine normal people would go. Um, and, you know, I, it, you know, I, I think it's much more, uh, you know, I have a lot of people sort of pat me on the back and thank me for for taking people's sides, but it's it's much easier to be 
you know, the guy taking uh, women's sides than it is to be, you know, the women who are actually online standing up for themselves, dealing with that kind of shit every day. Um, because, you know, I, when I'm done arguing, I'm still, you know, a, a six two, a three hundred pound guy, and like it's very, uh, it's very unlikely that anybody's going to mess with me. But, you know, it's it's been made clear time and time again that people are are willing to, they're willing to mess with with girls on the internet. So, uh, you know, I I admire the hell out of people who are, you know, who get out there and, and stand up against these people. You know, some of those things were, and I, and I always find it funny that as soon as I see a, a, a post of any kind that refers to social justice warriors, I'm like, I know I'm going to be blocking you. First of all, very uh, term. We all actually love it. Um, and, and white knighting. And I'm like, a white knight is a good guy. So, you know, but they, they are always like, oh, they're only being fake good because they want to fuck you. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure that I that there are plenty of guys who are just think you're a dick. Yeah, and I mean that's that's so reflective of the people saying it because they're they're such assholes that they can't they can't conceive of the fact that there would be anybody who is not in this just for themselves who you know thinks that people ought to be treated better and that um, you know it's it's about. Um, that it's actually just about being a good person and you know standing up for the people you know either that you care about in many cases or just that um, you know you know are are righteous in this case who are you know standing up and um, doing the right thing when uh, when doing the right thing is is difficult um, and you know I think it says more about those people that um, they think that social justice is a bad word and they think that um, th- that it negatively affects people to, to say that they're social justice warriors, that uh, the idea of political correctness, you know, uh, of, of actually uh, being, of actually doing very little, making very little actual effort to just... Do, do and say things in a way that's not horribly offensive and, and doesn't make other people's lives harder, um, that, you know, they think that that's some sort of horrible thing that, like, I've, I've had to give up whatever my real opinions are to, uh, to be a decent person. Um, you know, it, it says so much more about them that they think that not being an asshole is, is giving something up. I'm guessing these are the people that are supporting Trump. Yeah, they must be. I don't. I don't know who else it is. <laughs> I supporting him at all. <laughs> uh, and yet, so he seems to espouse the same sort of rhetoric that they do, that the, the internet trolls do. And they, I mean, he has enough books, so he's basically written Bibles for them to study. Uh, but it's just, yeah. Well, I, you know, as as just a woman in, in the business, I, I appreciate when when guys are willing to, you know, not that not that they need to, you know, not the mansplaining part. That's you know, that's a whole different thing. But just to to get in there and just go, you know, I think you guys need to back off. 
um, it's okay. Because sometimes we can fight our own fight. A lot of times we can, but a lot of times we're fucking tired. And we're, you know, we just don't want to deal with it that day. Getting, you know, getting away from the Internet for a day or two is a phenomenal experience. I, I definitely recommend it. Um, yeah, I don't. You know, it's hard. That's that's the thing I have the hardest time with is I I don't know how women on the internet do it just from a amount of time it takes up standpoint because I mean that's been that's been my only breaking point with stuff especially on like on social media is just having to go like you know what I could be here with this shit all day and I wouldn't be any closer to getting any work done so I've got to decide to go go do the work that is hopefully going to make a difference rather than just continue to plug away at trying to convince this idiot that he's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, because I, I like to uh, have the Internet there for me because I, I definitely do toggle, but I find that when I'm really involved in a scene or something, I'm, I'm okay with it not even toggling over to browser at all. But I need it for, for research. A lot of the stuff that I write is historical fiction. Um, even if it's just, you know, a word or if it's how would I describe, you know, a handbag from the 19th century or something. You know, like just things. I just, I, I like to use that as a crutch. Yeah, but, um, you know, and it's a total rabbit hole. Like I had a, I had a, I had a wonderful epiphany the other day of something that I was, was going to completely change my story. And I was like, oh, like I, you know, and I, and it happened because I was looking in a book. I was like actually on my floor with a book. And I got up and immediately went to the internet and just started like looking up pictures and, um, you know, what, whatever kind of research there was and what the folklore was. And um, so I love going down that rabbit hole of the internet. It's hard for me to turn it off. But I know there are some people who actually have, uh, like a timing system where they can't get online if they have their writing program open or if they're their drawing program. I think Gabriel Hardman is one of these people. He actually has it like turned off and he has like all the apps off his phone and stuff. <laughs> I'm like I can't go that far. <laughs> I mean there there are days that I very much feel like I need to do that. There are days that you know I'm writing and I, I realize that I don't know all the details of this thing that I want to write about or or I need to double check a thing or um, you know just just get a visual reference for a thing even and um and that's the hardest part is is going on there and getting that information that I need and then getting the hell out of there before I get sucked into something yeah definitely i mean it's just you know the 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 break of just not having it constantly is is really wonderful like even you know enjoy your weekends or if you slate a day off some people can't take, a, you know, whatever, two days off. But if you can play the day off, enjoy it, take your kids to the park, whatever, whatever you're going to do, um, I think it's refreshing and it's a little bit of, like, regenerating. Hopefully stop, you know, the headaches will stop. I can't, can't even look at a screen that long anymore. I'm basically, like, a half-a-day person now. I was, I, I, like, really cranked out a bunch of stuff today. Um, and by, after five hours, I'm like, that's all I'm doing. <laughs> like now I'm gonna rest and I'm gonna eat and I'm gonna wait until nine o'clock to do this podcast and, and I'm drinking some whiskey so I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things that I always feel uh, I always feel weak for you know um, sitting in front of a, a 
the computer for eight hours and feeling exhausted afterwards because like, I didn't really do anything. I just fake did stuff. Um, but it, it's still so exhausting, especially when you're you're dealing with a lot of this stuff that's online. Um, you know, actually just putting up with some of that is, is it's too much. Uh, <laughs> but I will uh, we'll let that go because I, you know, I did. I, I do appreciate it. Um, but I wanted to, before I let you go, I wanted to find out about your Marvel project because um, I know that I saw the tweets going out about it, but I actually don't know what it is and I don't know anything about it. So I want to hear about this. Yeah, so it's, um, it's a one-shot anthology book that's part of uh, Secret Wars. Um, and it's, uh, it's called Secret Love. It's a uh, romance anthology uh, using Marvel superhero characters. Um, so it's uh, a variety of, of little uh, up to eight page stories um, done by a, a variety of very talented people. Um, my my story in it is a uh, is a Danny Rand and Misty Knight story. Um, you know all about uh, a an older and you know married Danny Rand and Misty Knight who have sort of uh, put down roots and, and had a kid and stopped um, being superheroes and uh, are now at that point in their marriage where they're sort of uh, experiencing um, experiencing just sort of getting under each other's feet and you know trying to um, live together and you know, not not having the sort of luxury of just running off to a mystical realm and disappearing for you know, six months or whatever, and uh, it's that that feel after you've been with somebody for a certain time that you know maybe you've maybe you've lost your spark, um, lost whatever it is that made you you guys, um, and uh, it's it's. It's really interesting because it, you know it's a very personal story to me, and um, you know it, it's still a superhero story, but it's you know no no costumes; they're all in, in normal clothes, and uh, it's illustrated by uh, Guri Hiru, who is uh, amazing. Um, you know who do the uh, they draw the Avatar: Last Airbender books for Dark Horse, um, as well as a, a variety of other books here and there, um, and it's it's brilliant looking. In addition to my story, there's uh, you know, a story by by Katie Cook about uh, bug superheroes, and um, there's a Michelle Fife uh, story about Daredevil, and there's a uh, a story with uh, Kamala Khan and you know Robbie Reyes. Um, so it's a it's a nice wide variety of stuff. Um, oh, and Marguerite Bennett and Chris Anka do a uh, a story about a Squirrel Girl winning a date with Thor. Okay, I saw people talking about that, and I had no idea what they were talking about. I thought it was like like some crazy fan <laughs> story. Because like that needs to happen. Like I mean, it's like it's such a great person on Twitter. Yeah, it's just um, you know, it's a small three-page story, but it's a uh, laugh out loud, funny, uh, brilliant little. But uh, both a great Thor and a great uh, uh, Squirrel Girl story. Um, and yeah, it's it's a wide range of of tones and types of stories and types of art, um, which I think is um, 
know, what makes what makes a really great and interesting anthology. And um and we actually found out yesterday, the day it came out, that uh uh with all the reorders of it, it's actually already sold out through Diamond, so uh, hopefully we'll be looking at a second print somewhere soon. Um but you know, there's still plenty of stores out there that have copies on hand if if people can find them. Awesome. Now, the, the characters that you worked on, Damian, um, is yes. Iron Fist, correct? And Misty Knight. So I have barely read anything with either of them, like maybe an issue two of each. Um, which, like, were they ever a couple previously? Oh, yeah. So, I mean... History? Because I don't know. I really don't know yeah, anything about them. I mean, they're one of the first, uh, if not the first, um, interracial couple in comics. Um you know, and that uh, they've been around since uh, I think the, it started with the 70s. Um, you know, and they they've been sort of an on again, off again thing. Um, you know, they're both heroes for hire. You know, Danny is obviously a uh, a kung fu master, and uh, Misty is is uh, to some extent sort of a a black exploitation, you know, Foxy Brown type character. Um, you know, from from the 70s. Um, and you know, every every few years, there's a you know a good uh, story of theirs that pop up. I was a big fan of uh, in Fraction Brubaker and Aja's run on uh, on Immortal Iron Fist. They did several um, really good um, stories with right. the two of them. I remember. Okay, um, I remember filing those when I was down to the comic store. But the but the issues that I read, um, particularly with Missy Knight, were like I read her in something that was like a chick book. It was just like the female heroes, um, actually called Heroes Prior, I think. Um, and uh, so I I never I never saw saw them together. Um, that's so weird that this is like historically what what should have been there. I was going to give you credit for putting these two characters together. Yeah, it's um, the thing in the day. Um for a, for a good chunk of time, they kind of broke up, um, you know, Missy Knight and, and Danny Rand. To this point, as far as I know, um, the characters are uh, not together in the mainline Marvel universe um, because of some 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 questionable, I think, decisions on the you know the side of some writers to uh, you know have have a story where um, you know Misty was. Uh, during the Iron Fist run, uh, Misty got pregnant, and um, it was right at the end of that run. And then the next time it gets picked up is in the um, Heroes for Hire book um, that you know came out around the time of uh, I want to say it was right before uh, Fear itself um, started. And uh, they were like, "Oh, oh, Misty's not pregnant anymore." It turns out Phantom pregnancy, um, you know, is a horrible. Horrible thing, you know. Danny kind of disappeared, and uh, I think they're kind of broken up now. So, yeah, that was really, to me, was a very uh, poor and, and questionable ending to that story. In order to write the next story, um, you know, and and it's they've sort of gone back and forth with well, well maybe they'll get back together, you know, uh, in Fearless Defenders. Um, you know, they're sort of uh, hinted to be together, or at least somewhat together. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at this point, there's, you know, neither of them are, are really in major books. 
Well, hopefully, um, I kept thinking that they were the whether it was Danny Rand or whether it was somebody else. I thought maybe we'd see them in one of these like Netflix shows. I don't know. Something, something that I, whether it was just people talking about their their wish lists of things. I, I would like to see that. I have, honestly, because I checked out of Daredevil, I'm like the one person that didn't actually get into it. I didn't. I, didn't I, I really enjoyed Daredevil, but I am that was the one I was least looking forward to, or the ones they've announced because, um, you know, that the Jessica Jones one is next. I think she's a really interesting character, and that will also be introducing Luke Cage, who is the subject of the one after that. Um, who you know, I, I adore Luke as well. Um, and then the the fourth one, um, the fourth original character that they've got is is Iron Fist, um, and there hasn't really been any casting news or anything for that yet. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll get to see at least Misty Knight, if not both um, Misty and Colleen Wing, who's her um, her best friend and crime fighting cohort. Um, but yeah, I mean they haven't. They haven't said one way or another whether Misty is appearing, but uh, I I very much hope that she does because uh, it would be a, a much needed change of pace to the stories about dudes, uh, or even in you know, um, even in the the few cases that there are women in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, stories about white women in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, exactly. You know there. It's, um, you know, the studios, they have to that that fans want And it's one of those things where I, I get upset when creators say, well, then you need to vote with your dollars. Uh, no, no, because a lot of people, I think I don't think Agent Carter necessarily had the viewership of something bigger, but the fans really spoke out. Yeah. So I think that's why we're getting more. Yeah, I, I mean, I love Agent Carter. And, you know, it, it had a... It had a lot of things working against it, and it was a short-run TV show um, as compared to, you know, what they initially gave Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, also, it's a historical drama in addition to being a, um, you know, superhero TV show, so they're, you're not going to necessarily have the same audience for those two things. Um, you know, in a lot of respects, it's it's the superhero version of Mad Men. Um, you know, and I, I think... There's definitely, there's obviously an audience for it, and a very vocal audience, who uh, has done a has done a good job showing that they love it and why they love it. And um, you know, I'm glad it's coming back, and hopefully at some point we'll uh, see more of a commitment to uh, that character and stories like that from you know from ABC, if, if not you know from the cinematic universe. Completely agree. It's good to have more, more choices, more things, because you know that way if I can say, hey, I don't like your role, I can find something else that I do like, and, and it's, you know, so more things, more things are good. Um, Jeremy, let me let me let you go because it's like it's really late. I'm, you know, if I keep drinking whiskey, I'm just gonna keep sweating more. Um, but where can people find you and follow you? I know you've mentioned uh, Tumblr and, and Twitter, so uh, repeat those. Yeah, so uh, I am on. Primarily Tumblr and Twitter. Um, Tumblr is uh, princelesscomic.tumblr.com, and um, I talk about princeless and pirate princess, um, but also a lot about other projects I'm working on, be they um, pony related or Marvel or 
Um, you know, whatever else uh, comes up next that I'll get to tell people about. Um, you know, in addition to that, um, I uh, am on, on Twitter at jrome58. It's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. Um, or if you search Jeremy Whitley, there's, I think, two that show up. I'm the one that's not a British accountant. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I'll, I'm on there frequently, and people can feel free to ask me any questions or, or throw ideas out there at me because I'm, I'm always happy to engage people and, and talk online. Um, and that's uh, those are the primary places to find me. I also do have a website, which I am currently working on actually putting anything on um, at jeremywhitley.com. Um, so people can, can check me out there if they like. It's a little uh, unimpressive at the moment, but uh, hopefully it'll be more impressive as time goes on. Are you doing any more shows for that? Um, I yes, I am doing all of September. Um, I am doing Dragon Con um, in Atlanta the first weekend of September, um, and then I will be the next weekend in uh, South Carolina for Florence Comic Con. Um, the weekend after that, I am in Bethesda, Maryland for SPX, um, and then I think I have a whole week off, and then I'll uh, be heading off to uh, New York Comic Con. Um, at the beginning of October, and then uh, other than North Carolina Comic Con right here in uh, beautiful Durham, North Carolina in November, uh, that'll pretty much wrap me up. That's a really full schedule. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's just the last couple months of the year. So. Well, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber, and please go to patreon.com slash Amber Unmasked to sponsor the show. Um, all of these show notes, in case you wanted to go back and, and look at anything, is at amberunmasked.com.